0: Are you a sneakerhead? A baller? Want to know about the hottest brands you can lace up and run with? Well, get ready because we got all the details right here. It's Kicks and Bricks, where we got game on the streets and on the court. Here's your host, Jamel Cutler.
1: Welcome to another edition of Kicks and Bricks. Today we have the author of the book Ball Don't Lie, Kevin Cottrell. What's going on, Kevin?
0: Hey, what's going on, man? Thanks for having me. All right,
1: can you tell us about the book and like what kind of inspired you to write the book?
0: Yeah, so you know, Ball Don't Lie is, is, is you know a passion of mine. That working around the NBA since 2008, just covering the league from different angles. I've been that proverbial fly on the wall, so I've been privy to stories that a lot of people. May never get to hear and instead of just sharing it with my friends in a group chat here and there, i decided you know what let me sit down with some people that i'm cool with that i know have a great story to tell and just and just tell their story so each person has their own chapter in the book there's 10 chapters male and female athletes um you know that dominated the game of basketball from different ways
1: all right and what are like some of the challenges that you have to go through while writing this book
0: I'll probably say one of the biggest challenges is just the time management of it all it took me about four years mainly because you sit down with an idea you get this wish list a lot of all these people then you got to figure the time out and then that's when it gets crazy so when you're trying to figure out that time frame i took about an hour and an hour and a half to interview people going through a game their whole life story so that took some time but you know uh that was probably the biggest hurdle but once i got over that and was able to interview everybody Man, it was just a breeze. It was a fun just sitting down, reliving the interviews and and writing it all
1: out. One of the main subjects in the book is Isaiah Thomas, a Hall of Fame player, but yet he's a controversial figure in the hoop world.
0: Yeah. um, Yeah, and, and, you know, it was one of the things. it, It was my moment for him to just be able to talk about Isaiah Thomas, the great basketball player, I know a lot of people like to focus on the controversies or maybe the misses and, and, and with the Knicks and things like that, but I wanted to use that space to say, hey, don't forget just how great Isaiah Thomas was. Don't forget how great this point guard was who led a big team in the 3 straight NBA Finals. You know, he is responsible as the leading point guard for the highest scoring game in NBA history. So even though he gets credit for being at the forefront of the bad boys, just the offensive arsenal that he led alongside um, Joe Dumas and Vinny and, and having that stretch big and build like beer. I wanted that time for him to sit down and almost get his roses uh, about the great basketball player that he was.
1: And like you said, I hate that people try to make him the villain. Like In the last dance, he was um, the villain because of the whole All-Star game freeze out and then the whole Olympic thing in 92. But I feel like another black guy on Isaiah's career, if you want to call it that, is his time with the Knicks. Man, I was here for the entire ride, and the best way to describe his time in New York was like mismanagement. Like he gets all the blame for it, but at the end of the day, it was James Dolan that signed off on all those moves. Right,
0: and the one thing about it is, look, Isaiah was able to bring in a proper young talent that, if they had the opportunity to jail. Deal- and, and stay together much longer under his tutelage. who knows what they're going to do when you had a guy like Jamal Parker who's still playing and contributing to this day David Lee who was able to go out and win a championship you know uh, Nate Robinson you know what things he was able to do in this league if you're going to keep that type of talent together and just continue to pick that up and build around it. who knows what to say How's it going to happen right. one miss here or there, and I know the Stefan Marbury thing is probably one sign that he probably wish he could take back But, you know, outside of that, it was just a roster being young and maybe not having, like you said, the total management infrastructure
1: in place for them to succeed. And during that time, it just seemed like the Knicks, they just grouped a whole bunch of players together that didn't make sense on the court. They had, like, Zach Randolph and Eddie Curry, who couldn't play together. Um, Like you said, Marbury and Steve Francis, who was washed up at that time, they couldn't play together. So, I mean, like, a lot of that falls on management. Falls on management, but like Isaiah, he just was the fall guy for it. Oh, absolutely,
0: and it's something he took on the chin, and he's still taking on the chin to this day, you know. Although he's doing great work in television, you know, he still has a great basketball mind, his IQ is off the charts. He's still an elite talent evaluator, and it's a shame that he's not getting that opportunity this day
1: to be able to show that and, you know, I help build a world somewhere. Right, and um, like despite all of that, in my book, he's still a Hall of Famer. Um... He's one of the top scoring point guards of all time, and like speaking to top scoring guards, there was three J, Dennis Scott. He was um, Klay Thompson before Clay Thompson.
0: Yeah, three D is is, the, is someone that I like to call the pioneer of the three point shot. Um, uh, you know, he's that guy that was that first guy you really saw putting up in transition on a break. You know, it could be a three two fast break instead of him going to the lane with it. Three D was able to stop at the arc and pull from three, and that's just something that. That helped add a a different dynamic to Shaq and Penny's magic team that's
1: just been unmatched. Right. And like his style was like the precursor to like the modern day NBA. Like before, you know, Mike D'Antoni made um the three point shot kind of popular for this generation. Like, um, he basically made a career making open three shot three point shots because of the double teams that Shaq and Penny were receiving back then.
0: Absolutely, and you know, being six seven, six eight, and being able to have that high release and get it off from anywhere at any time, you just added a dynamic that you know at that point in basketball I had yet to see.
1: Right, and like those Orlando Magic teams back then in the nineties, they were so special. Like especially those black stripe uniforms. I mean, like oh, yeah. I wish I still had um, a uniform from my um, back then.
0: Oh yeah, no, you know that's definitely an iconic look, man. <laughs> right. <laughs>
1: And I think, like, that team, they could have been, like, the Lakers from the early 2000s in the East if they would have um, stayed together. Yeah, especially when you factor in that Nick Anderson, They had a great squad. Horace Grant and four. I mean, you know, they were just young. Like, they remind me more so of the Oklahoma City Thunder. Right. With Harden, Durant, and Westbrook, if they was able to keep their group together longer, who knows, you know, the sky would have been the limit. Obviously, injuries and, and contracts and all of that, the business side of basketball got in the way as well. But it would have been great to see if they could have stayed together. And I think um, if Nick Anderson would have made those free throws in the finals, like, I think the Magic would have won the title. Shaq Polly would have stayed in Orlando. And, like, the Kobe and Shaq Lakers might have never existed. Like, it's kind of crazy to think, how those missed free throws kind of shape the future of the league, right? And and that's the thing, you know, it's one of those things that that dynamic is just, uh man. Yeah, I wish we could have seen that, you know. I really, really wish all of that could have just uh, took place and you go down. But you know how it goes, man. Right. And like Shaq, he was the original Superman. He's another guy that you covered extensively in your book. Like yeah. back in the two yeah. thousands, he was like the most dominant player in the world. Like no. Like, no matter what you threw at him, you wasn't stopping
0: him. Right, and that's the thing. Shaq is one of those. I think Shaq is another misnomer. Like, now that he's gone and the game isn't centered around a big man, I think people almost devalue everything that Shaq was able to accomplish during his time in the league. And that's somebody that I wanted to highlight. So, what what we discussed is his highest scoring game, his 61 point game on his birthday against the Clippers, Mm -hmm. and just how dynamic of a performance that was. Uh, long before Kobe scored
1: 81, you know that was seen as a big deal in LA. Right, and like it's crazy to think now how people today of this generation could think Draymond Green could um even stop Shaq, like like Shaq Shaq in his prime, he's putting up 55 and 20 rebounds without even trying on Draymond. Oh, no, absolutely.
0: I don't even think Draymond thinks that. I think you know I remember Draymond having <laughs> on a <laughs> one time about playing center. He's like, it's not like Shaq is out there
1: think he's a student of the game, he knows what that would have been like. <laughs> <laughs> Barbecue chicken. Exactly. <laughs> All right, and um, and I think Shaq, he could have accomplished more in his career if his demeanor w- was different, like if, if he had the same drive as an MJ or a Kobe, that's just how dominant he was. Like, like I think he could have at least won eight rings in his career. And yeah,
0: that's not part of it to say People gotta realize what you're saying and what i'm about to say is shaq basically rolled out of bed and got four rings he got four ranges off being Shaq. right so to your point is if, if it was one of those things where he was able to totally lock in and be that big dominant force that he was for a longer period of time who knows if, the, if this championship started in orlando you know how many he might have missed out you know a lot of people forget him and kobe got to la the same year in 96 so they have a four-year span where they never won a ring at the beginning and so who knows what that title experience could have did and that rollover could have been in his career
1: and his legacy. Right. And during the last dance, like people was kind of speculating on when Jordan run was going to end. I think um Jordan, he probably the Bulls, they probably would have won in ninety nine, but I think that run would've ended in two thousand with with the Lakers and Kobe and Shat. Yeah, and,
0: and that's yep, and that's one of those things where it's like he made a good point there. A lot of people, I think, it just kind of nowadays get so far away from it, they kind of forget all of that stuff. And again, going back to the book, that's why I wanted to do this. I always wanted it to serve as like a time capsule.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. And um, the Lakers' main rival back then was the Kings, and they had like C-Webb, um, Mike Bibby, um, yep. Vlade dvox, But I think like that knee injury in the 2000 playoffs was like really the beginning of the end of um, C-Webb's career. As we knew it. Yeah, and C. is one of those people that was, he was still able to fight through that. You
0: know, the story I highlight, he's in the book as well. His last game with the Kings, he had just one player of the month. And so mm-hmm. a lot of people may forget about the Chris Webber that got sent to Philly, and it might have been a little later in his career, and the fit wasn't that great. He still was able to average 20 with Philly. And before that, Iverson never had a teammate average 20. And that spoke more to C. than it does Iverson again. He was rolling out of bed to me be a 2010 and 5 guy. And, you know, which is why I say to this day, Chris Webber deserves to be in
1: the Hall of Fame. Right. And I think one of the main reasons he's not in the Hall of Fame is because of the Ed Martin scandal. But that was over 25 years ago. And I think it's time for the voters to, like, kind of let that go and, and and let C-Webb get his day in the sun.
0: Yeah. And they got to let that go, too. They got to let that go.
1: But it'll be kind of dope if, like, the Fab Five kind of went in as a group. I think that'll be... Pretty dope, but not this year because of the whole Kobe situation.
0: I also think that Chris has to go in before that, you know, before they go in as a group. You know, I think it'd be great and all, but there wouldn't even be a fat not for Chris
1: Webber. You know what I mean? Right. So, um, so like kind of going back to that season 2005 when when Cibb was traded, like the Kings were like 19 and two against the East going into that game. Like, and um, Webb finished the game with 24 and 10. Like, you, like you've like you been around the game for a long time. Like, can you explain to the listeners what goes into a player's mind when he plays against his former team? Yeah, yeah. That, that,
0: that, that, so that's what I highlighted in the book. So that's was asking, yeah. like, about him going against his former squad. Yeah. Yeah, just how crazy that moment was, you know. Like, he gets traded, and even I forgot this, the very next day, his first game was against his former team. So he sat in a hotel with his former team, but he's about to face him. And so that game went down to the wire went down to the last shot. But no matter how to, uh not but no matter the outcome, you know, it still was gonna have the same reaction. Uh he was gonna feel empty inside and be confused of how it all went down and you know just one of those things where I thought Austin should be highlighted because the point of that chapter was to show before C-win, Sacramento was in the dumps, and ever since then, they've been in the dumps. This year, they missed their 14th straight uh, playoff, and last time they were there, when Chris Webber was in the uniform. If that doesn't
1: speak to how great he was, then I don't know what it do. Right, and um, also, I read that Harrison Barnes, like, he's growing out his beard, and and he's not getting a haircut until the Kings are, like, 500 again. So, I mean, um, he's going to be looking like a wolf man for a long time. Yeah, that that yeah. <laughs> it might have to get traded again. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so like, like the injuries robbed C webb during his um athletic prime, but um, the injury gods also took away Grant Hill before, before he was primed to like, be the ultimate face of the league. Yeah. Actually, Grant did have a couple years as the face. You know that when he first started out and had the most All
0: Star votes, and then when Jordan came back and he still had more All Star votes, he had a small window in Detroit when he was the guy and all the endorsements, and he was just that dude. But to your point, the injury it just took it away from him. And you know, um, we didn't dive too much into his injury. Eventually, he'll be able to tell the whole story about all of that side of it. But I did want people to understand, to your point, just how special he
1: was pre-injury. So, we highlighted a game where he had they played the most minutes in his career, had one of his biggest triple doubles, and it was against shaq and Kobe vacons right and like um like prior to um well prior to him getting hurt like I remember he was um being rumored to um come to the knicks and and I just only imagined like if he was healthy for that ninety nine run, what would have happened um if, yeah, if he was there with L.J. and Um Ewan and Spring, is, is that the team Allen was on? Yeah, yeah. So a lot of people probably thought because of the Allen thing. Yeah, I, I'm not so sure if he ever would have made
0: that move based on hard discussions. But it, it is one of the things that's great to see. You know, things happen differently. Or what, what happens if Orlando would have got that trio together with him, t and and Tip Duncan? You remember that? That was what they were trying to put together. Right. Uh, but you know, but unfortunately, Grant was never healthy enough for us to see any of it come to fruition. But he still was able to manage to carve out a nineteen-year career um, and get inducted to the Hall of Fame. So he did all right with himself.
1: Right, and um, I remember like back in two thousand five, he was able to make the All Star game. You know, yeah. like like after being out the whole three,
0: three or four years prior to that. And that speaks to his professionalism too. It's just his ability to redefine his career. He went from the do it all you know, point forward to the wing specialist he became a defensive guy known for defensive and slashing.
1: And, and you know, it doesn't hurt to play alongside a great guard like Steve now. Right. And um like I think another underrated um talent from that time were like the 2000 Blazers. Like that team was like the greatest threat to the Lakers championship run. Yeah, the Blazers is you know,
0: the Blazers actually a very very butterfly effect, domino effect type of team. That Blazers team not only had a shot to beat those Lakers, but who knows, if they beat the Lakers, maybe Shaq and Kobe breaks up early. You know, maybe it allows the Kings to get their title. And, you know, uh, the the careers just go totally different ways. and, And maybe Shaq and Kobe aren't viewed as the dominant force that they became as a result of all of that. So it's just one of those things that I thought, you know, that was important. I highlight that team in my book the Steve Smith's chapter. You know, he went from being a part of that Blazers squad, losing to the Lakers, Then eventually he was traded to the Spurs where he won a ring. Rasheed Wallace eventually landed with the Pistons
1: where he won a ring. And so it's just one of those things that just shows you how, you know, the bounce of the ball can just divert careers in a totally different direction. Right. And I think in the long run, that trade to the Spurs was like a blessing in disguise for Steve Smith because, like, yep. While Portland was going through the jailblazers Blazers phase, like, he was um, an integral part of the Spurs' um 3 championship team. Like, it didn't show up in the stat sheet, but he was an important locker room guy for that team.
0: Uh, absolutely. And, you know, he started out as a starter, starting point guard. And I think eventually... Uh Tony Parker might have came on, but you know he helped develop guys like like that. You know, being there for a young Tony, a young Manu. So to your point, right. just having his veteran experience in the locker room went a long way.
1: Right, and and I think he was like the final piece to that um to that O three team because with because without his leadership and David Robinson's leadership, like I think the Spurs still would have won, but it would have been a tougher a series.
0: Oh, absolutely. And, you know, so I'm yeah. sure that for every great bad his, his ability to shoot out of those double
1: teams. Right. And, um, and like Steve, Rip Hamilton, like the the original Masked Man, he was one of the final pieces to the Pistons championship team, along with Rashi Wallace.
0: Yeah. And, and Rip, you know, that that's something else, you know, I, I was able to focus on in the book about how Rip Hamilton, you know, took all of that experience going to two championships and thought he would be the final piece for the Bulls. And so we focused more so on his tenure in Chicago, where he left Detroit to go team up with D-Rose, MVP D-Rose at that, to solidify that backcourt and how they thought they had it all going and ready to win that title coming out of the out and then the ACL here. So, you know, again, it's one of those things that we talk about domino effect. Rick didn't play basketball after that. You know, after he left the Bulls, that was the end of his career. If they win a title, who knows how long right. he would have been able to stay in that Ray Allen role, possibly coming off the bench for a title team and just being that extra floor space.
1: What do you remember about seeing D. Rose go down in the final moments of a playoff game that he shouldn't have been playing in to right. begin with?
0: As a Chicago native and a you know immediate Bulls fan, that's probably one of the worst sports moments of my life. But I was really thinking, I probably have to say, it is the worst sports moment of my life as a fan at least. Mm-hmm. I had battles have bad ones as a player. But as a fan, it's probably the worst one. Because I just remember thinking as soon as he went down, that's an ACL. And then also I remember thinking, why was he in the game? I remember the boot had a sizable lead for the most part. And I break it all down in the chapter with Rick Hamilton. How the lead went back and forth, but they kind of always kept him at bay. There was a key timeout in their game where they had an opportunity to take him out of the game and Andre Iguodala was at the scores table whenever they were all waiting to come out of the TP timeout. And he looked at Al Dang and said, why y'all still in the game? If y'all go out, we'll go out. And we can all get ready for game too. And it was just kind of like one of those things where Tibbs wasn't comfortable until that win was secured. And obviously, Derek doesn't place the blame on anyone from himself for doing that move um, and being reckless. And maybe it's one of those things where if it didn't happen then, it was going to eventually happen.
1: But in that moment, Man, that whole what-if, you know, never been able to see what could have happened with that team, it just sucks. And if that team would have won the title that year, like the first title since the Jordan years, like I think that would have been one of the biggest feel-good moments, um, the one of the biggest Cinderella stories, like, in the history of the game. And talk about
0: another domino effect. If they win, what does that do to the Eagles? Because this is fresh off of them losing to the Mavs in the finals. And if the Bulls would have knocked them out and got to the finals, and they didn't even get to return, now what does that do to the whole free agent landscape? Is somebody like Kevin Durant you can team teaming up differently now because of the lack of success that maybe LeBron would have had? So right. to your point, it's just one of the things. Like man, that story and that that ball drop it just could have changed so much.
1: You know, and one of the better teams in NBA history was like the '73 Warrior team, like. Sam Mitchell back then, he he was coaching the Wolves. And like in 2016, his team was so young, but they still was able to upset, you know, that 73 Warrior team. Yeah.
0: And I, you know, being on hand for that is still one of the things I still can't believe it happened. Right. Um, you know, just being able to see the momentum change with the Draymond suspension, it's just something that just slipped out of their hands. And, you know, Draymond Green is somebody that I always want to sit down with. I was unable to get him in the book, but. Being in that game seven, you know, that great performance that he had, you know, just let you know how it just wasn't meant to be. He had one of the best final stat lines I've ever seen, at least in the 12 years I've covered the league, and just be able to see something like that go by the wayside, it's just just crazy. But, you know, that was LeBron's and and Cleveland's moment to have, and I'm sure it's something those fans will never
1: Speaking of dynasties, you had um, Tina Thompson, she was a part of the first dynasty in WNBA history with with the Houston Comets. And, like, I think that team, during those years, like, nobody really speaks about them.
0: Yeah, and it's something that I think not only does the next story need to be told, and that's what I wanted to do in her book, in her chapter, I mean, I think they need a 30-30, they need a documentary, they need right. something. They, I think the story really has to be told, how the game, the WNBA as a league was pretty much built on their shoulders. But then winning the first four titles, but them having a woman with a first signature sneaker, you know, with them having like this this true dominant trio, it's just something that I don't think is told enough. You know, we don't see teams in the NBA win four straight titles, and we scoff at it happening in the WNBA. That's just how hard it is.
1: You know, it's just mm-hmm. it's hard to do, but it's something we may never see again. And they changed the way like how a lot of people view women's basketball, and um, oh yeah, and I think they helped the WNBA gain legitimacy during their infancy if you remember the league was built
0: on rebecca lobo in new york and lisa leslie in la and you know no disrespect to either one of those legends but houston was like oh what about us and here's four straight titles before y'all get started which I talking doing y'all thing since then rebecca's become you know great in the broadcasting realm at least was able to to live up and exceed her expectations as a player but without what the comments did you know it, it like to your point they actually was able to provide a the dynasty Everybody loves a dynasty, you know, whether you love them or love or hate them, everybody loves the dynasty. And they provided that legitimate factor to the W that everybody
1: needed to latch on and follow the storyline year after year. Right. And um another person who kinda changed people's perspective on something was Vince Carter and how he changed people's perspective on a dunk contest. Like be- like before his two thousand performance, like I think the dunk contest was getting kind of stale. Oh
0: yeah, no, he definitely gave that a heartbeat. You know, what he did in 2000 at Oracle Arena is something that, you know, I really wanted to highlight. Vince, being, getting, uh, being around Vince, Vince is a technician in everything, and whether it's golf or breaking down a dunk. I've watched games with Vince, and if a guy's in full stride at half court, he can tell you what dunk he's about to do. Like, he can literally seize it like that. So he's a true, I'd say, uh, uh, aficionado of above the rim basketball. And so this is mm-hmm. what we did. We broke down the dunk contest in great detail, what he was thinking the steps, why he did what he did, and, you know, uh, how he came to do it. He also uh, talked about how he had to convince T-Mac to be a part of it. And, you know, just just the special moments in that, just able to get his insight, I thought was priceless. Right.
1: And it sucks that we never got an, an encore performance from Vince.
0: Yeah, you know, that, that's kind of how it goes. It's so funny. Vince first year in the league, his rookie year was a lockout. And so he didn't get to compete because there was no All Star Weekend his rookie season. So when he did that that second season, he was already thinking, I'm ready to be in the playoffs and I'm ready to emerge as a star player. So when he got that dunk contest out of the way, it was almost like, All right, somehow I was gonna do my whole life, now it's checked off the list. And so, you know, he he caught himself handing that torch now.
1: Right. And you saw a lot of events in the back end of his career in Atlanta. Like you talk about how beloved he became over time, like long after his um athletic prime was was gone.
0: Yeah, and that's something else, you know. Like we talked about, Brent. It speaks to these guys' true professionalism and IQ when they're able to redefine their game. You know, he was able to become a star defender. He was able to become a great spot-up shooter, and that's two things that we wasn't necessarily pegging and we heard on in his career. But when you're able to redefine yourself and not rely truly on athleticism, then you can play that beautiful game of basketball to the end
1: of time. You know, and it sucks that we never got um a send-off of events due to the work stoppage.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's, and that's one of them things that I wish we could all get, get back. He definitely deserves it. I know he wanted to be more humble and didn't want to do the true farewell thing, but I do wish we
1: could have done it the right way. Right, at least in... Um, NBA bubble, they could have um, like did something for him at halftime. Or yeah, what's happening? You know, and like speaking of the bubble, like you know, Dame Dollar, he's been on one. Like he's been putting on Superman level type performances all throughout the bubble. Yeah, and Dame is one of those guys that then told people, "Look, I'm a ride. I'm here. This is what it is. This is what it's gonna be."
0: And I'm not sure how how far they can advance with their on the defense, but man, he's going to go down swinging, and I'm loving every second of it.
1: He did so much just for Portland, like, to get in the eighth spot. I'm not sure if he has enough, you know, left for the playoffs. Yeah,
0: and that's, that's what's going to be interesting, you know. Uh, uh, today will be very, well, you know, the game will be interesting to see just how how crazy it goes, because, you know, they could be playing off adrenaline or it could be tired. But then after that, they're in every other day mode. So he's gonna need guys to step up. He's gonna need Carmelo to keep being in that Olympic mellow role on the wing. He's gonna need CJ to continue to be able to be the one-on-one guy that he is, just to give him blows. But they're gonna need full effort if they're gonna take down those Lakers.
1: You know, and um, the Lakers, their their defense has been questionable, like all throughout the bubble. And um, Danny Green, he can't hit a shot to save his life. You know, and AD, he's disappeared a few times. I mean, that alone might give Portland a fighter's chance at winning the series. Yeah,
0: and they actually got some bigs in Portland, you know, in, in Collins and Whiteside and Nurk. Then they can at least throw at 80. Not necessarily stop him, contain him, maybe rough him up a little bit, you know, just he has to right. battle with. Most teams don't have that wealth of talent in front court these days. Um, and then, you know, if, if they want to play big and maybe they, the Lakers play big, and then they, you know, and they slide Melo down to the four. Now you cross-match. Now somebody got to, to guard Melo, you know. So it's one of those things where they have a, different, a few different dynamics. They'll be able to throw it up. So it'll be interesting to see what Terry Stoss is for.
1: Them. And I hope Nurkic remembers that dunk. Um, Braun did on him a few years back. Because yeah, I why i forgotten about it. Oh,
0: no. that Most definitely is <laughs> in the back of his mind. And mm-hmm. I'm sure LeBron didn't forget either. But it'll be interesting to see those
1: guys meet up. Right. And the Lakers, like they recently announced, they're going to be wearing Mamba-themed jerseys honoring Kobe after the first round. Like yeah. I, like I think that's bulletin board material for the Blazers, especially for a guy like Dame.
0: Yeah, because it's definitely one of those things that like, hey guys, once we get them out of the way, we're going to do the Kobe rollout, and I'm sure it's to coincide with his birthday. Because I thought, my second round? But with his, with Kobe's birthday being on the twenty third, um, yeah, that'll. Coincide with the second round being, you know, being on hand, and so in their mind they got to do quick work because uh, I think Game Four would be like Sunday or something like that. So you know, uh, the 23rd, actually his birthday, you know. So it'd be interesting to see
1: um, how this goes and how Portland handles the challenge. Right, and Dame he was recently named MVP for the bubble, but um, but I think the Machine's MVP is going to be Giannis. He'll probably win back-to-back MVPs, but but I think the people's MVP is LeBron. You do
0: you? So that, that's interesting. You know, I, I I can't really ever get a sense of this MVP thing. I think Giannis is going to win and run away. Um, I think LeBron gets the narrative MVP, which is he's older, they're winning. But at the end of the day, it's kind of like, man, he got AD. I don't really understand the whole MVP. I like personally... Anthony Davis is leading the team in every category except assists, I don't understand how he's not higher in MVP voting. And that's no disrespect to LeBron. It's just an interesting dynamic to me.
1: Yeah, but if you take LeBron off that team with AD still there, they're not even the playoff team in my book.
0: Right, which is the same thing people just said about LeBron last year. That's why I find it interesting. Because I'm not saying one should or shouldn't. But they both should be getting equal billing, almost. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. uh, apart, they were both outside the playoffs last year. This year, they're number one in in the, in the conference, and the team around them ain't that great. I mean, Kuzma was there last year too, so it's not like the team around them is like they got two other stars too. It's literally just them two, you know. So I don't know. It'll be interesting to see how all this uh, plays out now.
1: I think if um, LeBron wins another MVP and another couple of rings before. It, before he retires i think that will officially put him up in the talk for like the all-time goats like one two or three if he wins one more you say yeah
0: yeah i definitely think lebron needs i was thinking about this earlier i I definitely think lebron needs to add to the mantle but i also wonder you know lebron being a smart marketing genius that he is i almost wonder The more than an athlete campaign and and mantra that he lives by, does that allow him to say, oh, what I do is bigger than rings, and what I do is bigger than what I do on the court, and this is why I'm going to go. I guess leaning into whether he wins or not, he knows the end of his career is winding down. So instead of just being the king, now he's more than an athlete. Uh, so it's one of those things that's interesting. I wonder how LeBron, LeBron views his legacy. He's already told us he thinks he's the GOAT. So, you know, I mean, for me, it, it, I do think we would need to wait till his career ends to see how it ends. Because to your point, LeBron even wins one or two with the Lakers. That changes things for me. But let me ask you, if Kawhi wins with the Clippers and that's his third with three different teams and three final MVPs, what does that do for his legacy?
1: Right. And, and if that happens for Kawhi, like I think that puts him in the upper echelon of all time great players. If Kobe Braun, and MJ is 1, two, three, like Kawhi, he's either 4 or 5.
0: Yeah, you know, and it's definitely going to be one of those things that's interesting because Kawhi being young enough that he can still win a league MVP, he can still win another defensive player of the year, then that's when it gets really, really interesting. So these are going to be some fun times to watch the next couple of years, especially in LA. All
1: right. And um, to catch up on some recent. News around the league, like the Pels fired Alvin Gentry, which I feel was like a bit premature.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Alvin was there five years. I love Alvin. Um, been able to work with him in the past. It um that's tough. It's one of those things that you don't really know what's going on. Uh uh, like David Griffin said, you know, the president of basketball operations spoke on it and he was saying that. Like Alvin's been around the game forever; he hasn't forgotten how to coach, you know. So I don't know if it's just a thing where they want to go younger to fit the younger roster, or or if it's just solely about a better fit with Zion and what he does. But that that's something that they're going to have to figure out: who's the better player, is Ingram or is in Zion, or who's the better player to build around Ingram or Zion? And I guess that's probably how they're going to have to figure out: well, who gets their coaching now.
1: And and you know what was crazy to me, like the Pelicans. They had the easiest bubble schedule, like the NBA. They just gave them a cakewalk to the playoffs, and they still couldn't make it. And um, and that was a direct reflection on on Zion not being in shape. I mean, like coming back next season, I think he has to be in you know peak shape for for the Pelicans to compete.
0: Right, and, and that's that's gonna be something that that Zion and his people are gonna have to take the so on. Okay, you got that first under your belt. You see what you were able to do it when you were on the court. And you see what you're able to not do while you sit on the sideline because of your condition. So imagine what you can do if you are in shape. So it's going to be exciting to see what he can do, the work he can put in, because we know he can to get himself right and go on for next
1: year. Right. Um, and also during the bubble, like, at times, Zoe, he looked kind of disinterested during the bubble. Like, I think maybe the Pelican kids should, like, gauge the market for him. But I think they yeah. should kind of at least try and work out, like, Whatever's going on with
0: him, yeah, and that that's 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 something for the whole organization to really figure out because you can't just blame a coach, you know
1: right and in in other firing news like this this was good news to you, your Chicago Bulls fired their head coach Jim Boylan, like how hard did you celebrate when you heard this news? Man, I, it's funny, I think I
0: woke up to that news, and I was like, yes. But then I kind of like proceeded with caution. I was like, okay, but who, who's going to be the replacement coach? You know, What does that say about the future? I am a big fan of Zach. I'm a big fan of Larry Marketing. Um, and I'm excited about what those two can do if they get a good coach and a point guard with them. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what's going on. But I think for me, it was like the yes with caution, because it's like, okay, well, who's going to be the coach? You know, when they let go of Oingberg, I thought, okay, fine, they'll finally get this thing right. And then when they made Boylan the full-time coach, I was like, what is going on? So, you know, it's just one of those things you'll have to just wait and see before I get
1: too excited. And I think Kenny Atkinson, he'll be the perfect coach for that job. Like, like he developed all the young talent in Brooklyn. And, yeah. and another guy who I think would be a good job is um, Mark Jackson just because of how he developed Golden State.
0: Yeah, and that's the thing, you know, I am not sure why Mark has been on the outside, but Mark definitely deserves a look. Um, you know, I, I, I throw another name out there that's often overlooked, and I think Sam Mitchell. Sam Mitchell is a guy that had Zach Levine early in his career, and Zach is to this day saying, you know, that's my favorite coach. And he had those guys trending in the right direction. Sam Mitchell is also in my book, and we discussed how he was able to get that young Wolves team to beat that seventy-three 73- uh, Win Warriors squad. They were going for number 70 when they beat him in Oracle on TNT. And it's just one of those things where it's like, for whatever reason, he hasn't been able to get a look. So if you're looking for a, a young coach to take on, not a young coach, but a coach that's great with young talent and could develop that talent, I think he's somebody else that's deserving of a look. But him, Mark Jackson, and yes, of course, Kenny Atkinson, I think all those guys could be great.
1: You know, and teams like the Bulls and the Knicks, like, they've been in such desperate states for years. Like, I'm glad both teams are like getting a makeover from the top on because the league is a better place when those two teams are, are thriving. And maybe five or ten years down the line we can party like it's nineteen ninety four with a Bulls Knicks Eastern Conference Finals again.
0: Right. And, and so they, they, just the thought of that is just fun. It's fun and, and, and hopefully the East, man, the East can really get back going. I don't like all the jokes on NBA Twitter about the East being weak and all of that. Um obviously it's always gonna be I guess a conference is going to be more heavy than the other based on the stars. So with LeBron being in the West, now the West is really going to be loaded. In um, the words, who knows what they're going to do this offseason. So it's one of those things that I
1: would love to see the East just get back to prominent basketball. You know, and speaking of the future, what do you think about future Nick Devin Booker bubble performance?
0: <laughs> Devin Booker, man. Devin Booker has emerged as that dude. Hasn't Like we all knew he had it in him, but we wasn't seeing the wind column yet, uh enhanced. And this bubble, I think, be a wonders not only for his game, confidence, and career, but for the ability of other guys now to say, I want to play with D-Book. I think D-Book has made it cool to basically say, I want to play alongside him. So whether this team in another city or, or growing out that Phoenix organization, it's going to be fun to see what's in
1: his future. You know, and even though they didn't make the playoffs this year, I feel the perception of the Suns around the league has changed, and they're not a joke anymore.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And like I said, you know, they've got to have some type of flexibility. So it'll be interesting to see um, what, uh, what James Jones is the GM down there, what he's able to do to to bring in a little bit more talent. I think they need, like, another wing or so, man, they could be dangerous.
1: All right, well, um, we just want to thank you for joining us. Your book is amazing. Like, I've read it twice, actually. and oh, wow. Um, yeah, and it details um, several key moments in the league, and we're looking forward to reading the next
0: one. Yeah, man. So you know, I definitely appreciate it. You know, for those like that. They said if you can, you know, uh, bought online. It's available on Amazon, Barnes and Noble's stuff uh, on their website.